Well, hey there. You know, a common accusation that is made against Israel is that it was founded upon stolen Arab land. If this is the case, then the very founding of Israel would be wrong. And why would Christians support this? So we need to take a closer look at this accusation and let's get to the bottom of things. Welcome to the Israel Answers series, connecting Israel, the Bible, and you. Join Susan Michael as she explores timely issues and current events from a scriptural perspective to equip the Christian world with a balanced and biblical response. Be sure to subscribe for future episodes, which will ignite your faith and bring the Bible to life in your everyday world. Now, let's join Susan with your Israel Answers. Well, I remember a number of years ago speaking at a Christian conference, and I was supposed to give a history of the founding of the state of Israel. And after my presentation, I remember this young, probably college-age young man came up to me afterwards, and he was literally scratching his head, so puzzled. And he said, but I thought Israel was founded on stolen Arab land. And uh, I said, well, obviously, that's not the facts. The facts don't support that. So today I want to talk about two things, land and population. So first, I want to go back to quote the famous travel writer named Mark Twain. You know, he was also the author of The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. He went to the Holy Land in 1867. And he documented what he found and uh, in his book called Innocence Abroad. Now, I just want to read to you a couple of uh, very brief quotes of what he said about the area there, which then known as Palestine. He says, There's no timber of any consequence in Palestine, none at all to waste upon fires. It is a hopeless, dreary, heartbroken land. Palestine sits in sackcloth and ashes. Over it broods the spell of a curse that has withered its fields and fettered its energies. Well, when Mark Twain was traveling through the Holy Land, it was still a part of the Ottoman Empire, and it had been for almost 400 years. That's how long the Ottoman Empire lasted. And the land of Israel uh, had been a part of one Islamic empire after another. All in total, almost 1,300 years, it was considered an out-of-the-way little backwater area that no one really cared about. The larger population um, center was in uh, Damascus. So the area a lot of times was considered Syria slash Palestine, and um, Jerusalem was nothing. It wasn't of any uh, significance whatsoever. The Ottoman Empire uh, charged very high taxes, and one of the ways that they taxed farmers was by taxing their actual properties, and that included trees. So trees throughout the Holy Land had eventually been chopped down and either uh, discarded or actually used to pay taxes. The taxes were overbearing. And over time, the small farmer there in the area had eventually gone into debt 
had uh, been taken advantage of by money lenders charging very high interest rates, and eventually their land was taken over by larger landowners that lived in places like Damascus or Cairo, uh, faraway cities. So they were absentee landowners, maybe even Beirut or Kuwait. Now, during this time, uh, Jerusalem was a majority Jewish city, but all the Jews were squeezed into the Jewish quarter of Jerusalem. So Jerusalem was actually only what was inside the city walls. Today, if you go with me to Israel, which I hope you will, you'll see just how small that walled-in area is. That was the city of Jerusalem. Uh, for for hundreds of years. And finally, in the late 1800s, it got so crowded uh, for the Jewish population, which even though they were the majority of Jerusalem, they lived in the one quarter known as the Jewish quarter, which was an Ottoman system. So they, a few families, moved outside of the old city walls and started the first settlement known as Petak Tikva. And um, Others moved across the hill, and we began the neighborhoods outside of the old city walls there in the late 1800s. In the late 1800s, we also had waves of Jews that began fleeing uh, Russia because of the pogroms going on there, and they moved to the Holy Land, and they also began building settlements, and they were farming communities. So what happened is that as Jews were moving there, building these farming communities, it was creating jobs, and it was creating opportunities and uh, an economy. And so the more Jews that moved into the area, the more Arabs that moved in in order to take those jobs. So Uh, In the late 1800s, early 1900s, an unskilled Arab worker in uh, the area known as Palestine could make five times as much as their relative in Cairo or in Iraq working the same type of job. Now, let's look at population, and then we're going to look at land. So the population, as I said, these two populations were increasing. So in 1922, the population of the whole area of uh, what today is known as Israel, then Palestine, was 700,000. And over the next 23 years, the next census, 1945, it was up to 1,700,000. So it had more than doubled in size. The Muslims were the largest community, and they had grown uh, from 589,000 to 1 million, which is 60% of the population in 1945. The Jews had grown from 83,000 to 550,000, which means they made up 31%. The Christians were next at roughly 8% in 1945. So what does this mean? This means that the Muslim community had increased by 500,000 and the Jews had increased by about 470,000. The only difference being here that the Muslims, a lot of their increase was due to their high birth rate, but also it was augmented by immigration. The Jewish increase was uh, by and large more immigration, less birth rate as compared to the Muslims. But both communities were growing at a very similar rate, okay? Now I want to talk about 
land. So as the Jews were moving into the area, they began purchasing land. Most of the land that they purchased were through organizations. And these organizations were collecting donations around the world in order to purchase the land on behalf of the Jewish community. And they were largely buying tracts of land from these absentee landowners. Most of the land that they were buying was uncultivated. It was swampy, it was rocky, and it was sandy. It was not good land. However, once they started purchasing the land, then the prices started going up. And in a way, there was price gouging. Just to give you a comparison, that the Jews were paying roughly $1,000 an acre in Palestine for this arid uh, and semi-arid land, while in the same year, black, rich soil of Iowa was being sold for $110 an acre. So that means it was costing 10 times as much to buy land that was uncultivated, that was desert land, it was arid. Um, It was really price gouging. But nevertheless, that's how uh, the Jewish community was purchasing the land. Now, in 1948, when Israel was formed, Most of the land that became a part of the state of Israel was what's known as public land. So they had been owned by the Ottoman Empire and had been passed on to the British under mandate until the British then transferred it legally to the new state of Israel in 1948. So 70% of the land that the state of Israel was born on was public land. It had never been owned by any Arabs. It had been owned by the Ottoman Empire and passed down to this new state of Israel. The remaining 30% was divided up between land that had been purchased by individual Jews and these Jewish organizations, land that had been owned or that was owned by Arabs, And then there was a percentage of the land that had been abandoned by Arabs. So let let me review. 30% of the land was was these three types of land. And I have, I can't give you an exact percentage. It would take a lot more research. I found a little bit of conflicting numbers here, but we know that uh, large tracts of land had been purchased by the Jews. And then the Arabs that stayed in Israel owned about seven or eight percent of that 30 percent, or seven or eight percent of the land, I should say. So really, if you want to round it out, if you want to come up with some percentage, maybe 10 percent of the land that Israel was born on was land that had been owned by Arabs and they had fled and abandoned the land, and therefore it was taken over by Israel, by uh, Jewish uh, inhabitants. So that's the real issue here. It's not the land the Jews bought or that was transferred to Israel or even that the Arabs continued living there. The real bone of contention here is this small percentage of land that had been abandoned by its former Arab owners. So the question is, why did they abandon the land? And once again, there's several reasons. One is 
that um, the neighboring Arab countries and the Arab leaders had told them to flee because these Arab armies were going to come in. They were going to destroy the Jews. There was going to be blood in the streets. And as soon as they had defeated the Jews, they would be able to return to their homes, of course. So a lot of them fled expecting the armies to come in, and the armies never came in and defeated the Jews. Secondly, it was a war zone. So just right now, we have in the news about the uh, crises in Ukraine. It's a war zone. So what's happening? So far, I think 10 million people have fled their homes. This is what happens when there's war. And so there were Arabs that fled their homes because it was war. They wanted to go where it was safer. Um, and then there were a few instances, there were some instances where the Jewish forces actually forced an evacuation of an Arab village because of its location on the border. It was for uh, security uh, means. And, and uh, it wasn't that Jewish individuals were going and pushing Arabs out of their homes and taking them over. By and large, it was a military operation for uh, security. And what happened is that these Arabs that did flee their homes and abandon their homes, what they thought was temporary, well, because they lost the war, they ended up on the other side of a boundary of a ceasefire line of a boundary for the nation of Israel, and they weren't allowed back in. They were on the enemy's side. They had, in a way, sided with the enemy by going into their territory. And um, so even if they had wanted to return to their homes, um, they weren't able to. So this is the abandoned land. It's a small percentage, and it's even a smaller percentage of those that were actually forced out of their home. Um, but there are real grievances, we, we have to admit. Uh, in war, terrible things happen. There are injustices in every war, and there are injustices in this story. And there were 500 to 700,000 Arabs that did leave their homes, go into the surrounding Arab countries, and became what we would call refugees. Um, but there's another side to this story. There were also roughly 700,000 Jews who were living throughout these Arab countries that when Israel was founded, they became very persecuted and their lives were in danger. They had to flee. They also became refugees. They had to leave their homes, their properties, their businesses. They left with the coat on their back. Some of them walked to the, to the Holy Land and became refugees in Israel. But of course, that was very temporary status because Israel absorbed all of the Jews coming there, made them citizens. They were able to build homes. They're no longer considered refugees. But the Arab refugees that had fled their homes into the Arab countries were not absorbed by the Arab countries, were kept in a refugee status. So in a future episode, I'm going to talk a little bit more about the refugee status. Uh, but for now, this clarifies uh, that, you know, at least 90% of the land that the state of Israel was founded on was legally obtained one way or the other. And the other 
let's say roughly 10%, it may be 5%, it may be 12%, but somewhere in there was abandoned property. And in any, in any war, when there's, when this happens, other families move in. Uh, it happened all throughout uh, Europe after World War II. Many Jewish homes were just taken over by others. It happened in the Arab world. It happened in Israel. But this clarifies that Israel as a state was not founded on stolen Arab land. It was founded on legally obtained land with a small percentage of what we might call disputed uh, uh, properties. And um, the the consequence of injustice that happens in war. So I hope that that helps you to understand about the populations and the land. Next week, we're going to talk about another serious accusation against Israel, that Israel is a racist state. So until then, God bless, and I'll see you back here next week. Well, hey, give me one more minute. I have two very special offers for you. First is, all you ladies out there, we have scheduled a women's tour to Israel this November, November 2nd through the 12th. I invite you to go with me to the land of the Bible. Let's walk the land. Let's talk the Bible. Let's have our faith restored and ignited and strengthened for the days in which we live. To sign up, I want you to go down below into today's show notes and sign up for our tour interest list. We will send you all the information. Or if it's easier, just call our tours department line at 866-393-5890. That's 866-393-5890. I want to travel Israel with you. Now, my second offer is a free download that we have developed just for you called 10 Reasons for Christians to Support Israel. Over the coming weeks, I'm going to be talking about a lot of these reasons, but I want you to have this download so that you can be preparing yourself, that you can share it with your friends and colleagues and invite them to listen in each week as I will be going over some of these reasons and going a little bit farther into depth. So in today's show notes, we link directly to this downloadable 10 Reasons Why Christians Should Support Israel. Or you can go to the outofzionshow.com landing page, click on Resources, and we should have a link there for you as well. So take advantage of this free download and I will see you back here next week, fully informed, ready to learn some more. Until then, God bless. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of Out of Zion with Susan Michael. Be sure to subscribe to Out of Zion now on Apple Podcasts, cpnshows.com, YouTube, or wherever you like to listen and learn. Out of Zion with Susan Michael is a production of ICEJ USA, all rights reserved.